Hey there, and welcome to Upfront, a podcast that features conversations with Connecticut-based top performers who represent the very best in their field and how they are making an impact in their industry and here at home in Connecticut. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Upfront. I'm so glad you're here with us. Now this one here is a little bit different from what we usually do. It's a special episode. I say that because we're tapping into our own talent here at Mason, but we're doing that for a good reason. Michael Field is our Vice President and Executive Creative Director, and we've been talking about doing this episode for quite some time as a way to introduce him to the wider world and to get to know him just a little bit better. I work with Michael day in and day out, and he's a pure joy to be around. I don't just say that because we work together, but in all seriousness, he's a super nice guy, understanding, is a great listener, has a sense of humor, but above all else, he's inspiring to be around, and he's incredibly talented. Prior to joining Mason, Michael has held previous creative positions at agencies such as Ogilvy Health, Atmosphere BBDO, and many others throughout the country. He's also a big soccer fan, maybe borderline soccer maniac, but he has such an incredible deep love for the sport, and we'll talk more about that later. So what does a creative director do? And why is good not good enough? And how do you get to great? We'll find out this and so much more right here. So let's get into it. All right, welcome to the show, Michael Field. Hey, Derek, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. First things first, before we go back in time, right, because we're going to talk about uh, all the all the stuff you did in your childhood that led you to where you are today. But first things first, tell us what a creative director is and what does a creative director do? Sure. So um, at Mason, I lead the creative department. I oversee ideas, copy, design, and digital. And, you know, I think a creative director is, in my eyes, it's a part mentor, a part strategist, uh, and a part new business developer. You know, if I had to succinctly generalize it for everybody. Okay. I mean, for those that might not be in the industry, their their impression of a creative director might be like a, a, a Donald Draper from Mad Men. How much are, are you like him? <laughs> I wish I was that handsome and rich. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. So, so there, there, there is a lot of the creativity part. You know, it's about coming up with ideas, developing ideas through collaboration, you know, collaborating with your team, with clients, you know, there are Mm. so many variables that can make an idea great or make it good. And, you know, a good idea is the biggest enemy to a great idea. And, you know, we want great ideas. You know, our, our positioning here is bold, fearless ideas. We want to get at the ideas that, that make ourselves a little nervous, maybe make our clients a little nervous but there's a reason it's tapping into a an emotional truth that's truly has to resonate with our audience because 
we have a big job to do. We have to move the needle for our clients. And there's only one way to do that. And um, that's what gets me excited about the work and being the ECD here for Mason. Awesome. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about the creative process and, and whatnot um, a little bit later. But let's go back in time. Where did you grow up? Okay, so I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but um, when I was about six, we moved to Titten Falls, New Jersey, and that's where I grew up. And where is that in relation to the map of New Jersey? Is it like Southern yeah, Jersey? It's, it's directly in the center of New Jersey, but on the shore. It's in Monmouth County yep. on the ocean, near the ocean. So we're like one town next to Long Branch. You know, I think we bordered Long Branch or Eatontown. So I was about 10 minutes from the beach. Very nice. And how would you describe life growing up there? You know, Titten Falls was great. You know, I, I loved it. You know, growing up there was really all I knew for a long time because, you know, we didn't really travel much as a family. I, I don't think I was on an airplane until I was in, I don't know, middle school or, or high school even. And, you know, I really enjoyed my friends there. I think it was a very, you know, common childhood with your friends and got along with my teachers and, you know, I enjoyed sports. And I think that, you know, Tinton Falls was close to New York City and Philadelphia. So I never felt like I was in a small town or isolated, even though, you know, the town was pretty small, about, about 18,000 people mm, or so. That is small. But our the news I always got was New York City news, you know, like live at five and and stuff like that. So I always felt very connected to the world, even though the the community I lived in wasn't so vast. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think anything within like a 50 mile radius of New York is like a suburb of it. Right. <laughs> you get all that. That's what it felt like, yeah. you know, I felt part of this bigger tri-state area more so than just from my little town. Okay, so you're a kid growing up in, in, in New Jersey. What were your childhood aspirations? Or another way to put this, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, it's not what I wanted to be. I knew I was going to be a professional soccer player. Oh, there you go. Uh, surprisingly, that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think the other, the career I thought about was being a lawyer. There was something about the law and, and just justice, yep. you know, that really interested me. But uh, my senior year in high school, I had an advertising, uh, I guess, unit in an English class. And, and it really opened my eyes to that as a career. Mm. And I fell in love with it. I remember we had a, uh, a project where our teacher said we had to do a storyboard for a, a made up product. And, and I think our made up product was called Kibby's Cocoa. And uh, we had to do a storyboard and everybody was working on the storyboards. But my partner and I, there was this uh, the one wealthy kid in the neighborhood who had a video camera. And I won't tell you what year it was, but that was pretty advanced. Yeah. And we actually shot a commercial on the video camera with uh, a neighbor's kid and my mom and uh, when everybody had to hand in their storyboards, my friend and I rolled in like the AV equipment and the television down the hall into the classroom. And we popped in the video tape to show our video, our commercial, while everybody it. else in their little storyboard. So 
I really got into it and and uh, that teacher was pretty awesome in, in helping me understand and build my passion for the the craft and and the industry as a whole. Okay, so now apart from school and growing up, um, you know, brothers, sisters, are you an only child? No, I have three older sisters and, um, you know, obviously I'm the baby. So, you know, I, I took advantage of that every chance I could. Yeah, you get away with murder, right? As they say, the baby. A little bit. I, it was the same thing with my brother and I. I'm the older brother. I, I Everything I wanted well, to do, I couldn't. But he he was able to right. I wanted a BB gun. No, you can't get one. But he got a BB gun. You know, it's just just yeah. how it goes. <laughs> now, yeah, I think if you interviewed my sisters, they probably sympathize with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So your parents, what did what did your parents do for work? Sure. My um, my dad was an electrical engineer for the United States government. Um, uh. And, you know, he actually went to – my dad was in World War II. Mm-hmm. When he got out, you know, he had always said – like after high school, he got a job as an apprentice in the Philadelphia Navy Yard. And um, he was a pipe fitter. And he probably said he probably would – if it wasn't for World War II, he would have been a plumber. Um, but because he went to World War II, he was able to go to college for free on the GI Bill. Mm. So – He went to Penn State University and he got a degree in electrical engineering and became an electrical engineer for the government. He he used to joke that, you know, had he been a plumber, he probably would have made a lot more money in his life. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, he he did all right there. And um, my mom was a stay at home mom until I was in middle school. And then she started a career in market research. She used to work at our local mall and she would interview people about products that they would test. Oh wow. And would sometimes she could pay them, you know, and I remember my friends loving it when they bumped into her in the mall because, you know, they know they would get paid. <laughs> yeah. So she was a very social person and loved to talk to people. So walking around the mall and asking people if they would test a product to do an interview, it was perfect for her. Yeah. It's kind of like mini focus groups, right? Interception. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. And, and your parents, um, what kind of values did they instill in you that you still carry with you today? Yeah, that's great. Um, my dad, my dad was a hard worker. You know, he, he was, you know, up every day, did his job, worked for the government. And he was very proud. You know, he had his whole career with them. Um, he was very proud of his service, you know, so I would say hard work and loyalty Mm. from my dad. You know, he was very proud of his service in World War II. He was very proud of his career for the government. You know, he had had been in some, you know, some interesting projects for them. And, and I think hard work and loyalty would be two of the big ones for my dad. Um, my mom's values, I would say, you know, equality is a big one. Uh, all people are the same. We treat everyone the same, regardless of who they are. Uh, I remember her telling me a story or two about helping people during the civil rights movement. I think empathy was big for my mom. You know, she always wanted people to be taken care of. You know, she, she helped people believe in themselves. I know she did that for me. And, 
I don't know if it's a value, but she had a great sense of humor, mm. you know, and I, there was a part of her that we never took anything too seriously. And I think that helps a lot in your life as, as you move on. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, you're in New Jersey. I know you, 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 you graduate and then go off to, you did go to Penn state, right? But that was, I, I did it too. Yeah. My dad did. And so did I. Very nice. And I would joke around that my kids can go to college wherever they want, but if they want me to pay for it, they're going to Penn State. Yeah. <laughs> True. Until right. recently when I saw how much Penn State really is now. Yeah. Man, times have changed, huh? Yeah, times <laughs> have changed, right? No, for sure. But, okay, so you go to Penn State. Um, what What was your major? What did you major in? I majored in advertising. Excellent. And, I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I know the answer to this, but, you know, what kind of student were you? You know, uh, I, I loved English, writing, advertising, and marketing, mm-hmm. and I did very well in those classes. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of science and math, and I think, you know, looking back, I, I definitely could have applied myself more in those subjects. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I was a um, communications major and minored in marketing and Man, anytime I had to take a, you know, I, I signed up for astronomy and I was like, oh, this will be great. We'll learn the constellations. And no, it was all about like mathematical equations to tell like how far stars were and the temperatures of them. I'm like, this is not what I want. I want to, I want to look at the rings of Saturn, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. So you're Penn State and, and, and we're, we're really giving like the, the short versions here because we're getting into some deeper questions, well, but you're, you go to Penn State, you graduate. What what happens after graduating? Well, let me back up just one second. Because sure. um, when I was in high school, I was really trying to find, like I, I was really big into soccer and I played on the soccer team and I really loved advertising. So trying to find a college, I was really just focused on finding a college that had a soccer team where I could play. And advertising as a major and you know we used to didn't have the internet back then we just had these catalogs and stuff i found a a college in chicago called roosevelt university and reached out there and flew out and played you know in the off season a winter with them and they gave me a half scholarship for soccer and i went there for my freshman year Mm. uh, and played soccer and majored in advertising and um uh, my sophomore year, before my sophomore year, my father was ill, so I moved back home uh, to help out, and I transferred to Brookdale Community College in Lincroft, New Jersey, and I went there um, until I then I transferred to Penn State after that experience and went to main campus, and that's where I completed my Bachelor of Arts in advertising. So I think, you know, I feel very, although it wasn't your normal college experience that I would say I assume most people experience. Uh, What I loved about it was, you know, I was in a city school downtown Chicago for a year. You know, I was at a community college, which I thought was enormously valuable to my experience as a student Mm -hmm. and really prepare me for what to expect when I went to a big time university like, like Penn State. So I was very thankful that I had different experiences. And I think that's, you know, 
write what you know. So the more experiences we have, you know, I think the better equipped I am anyway to do my job. Yeah. No, I didn't know that was your collegiate path. I, I just thought you had like the, the quintessential like college experience, right? Freshman through senior year at Penn State. But I, yeah. I, I was much like you. I mean, I, I, I went to, you know, uh, UConn, but a UConn branch, right? I went to another school and then I ended up, you know, at Central Connecticut State University where I graduated. So um, interesting. And I, I wonder, you know, a lot of kids, I mean, even younger cousins I have who are in college, they, they do the community college thing first to get all the credentials out of the way and have that experience and then go on to a different school. So you wonder how yeah. many people are having that quote unquote college four year experience. Yeah. You know, I think most of the kids I grew up with did have the, the usual four year experience, mm -hmm. but you know, it just wasn't the path that I took and, and look at like, Ideally, I think I would have wanted that, but, you know, I think, look, you roll with it, right? And you have to make the best of, of every situation you're in. And, and I'm really thankful for those experiences because that helps shape us as people and how do we deal with adversity and how do we grow and mature? And Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. All right. So you, you graduate. Now what? So I graduate. Penn State, and um, I shot my portfolio around New York City, uh, you know, to headhunters, to agencies. And one of the headhunters sent me on an interview to a small agency called Public Sector Solutions. Mm. Their positioning was that they would only work with clients who had a positive impact on the world. So, I mean, looking back, I think it was very ahead of its time. I'm not, you know, really sure if their client list or the work actually lived up to that ideal, but I thought it was great that that was the positioning. Yep. Um, and, you know, actually, I'll never forget my first day on the job there. Uh, it was my very first day on the job. The president had hired me as an, his assistant, and I'm sitting outside his office at a desk typing the first letter he gave me, and I'm just typing away. And. And he says to me, he leans, you know, and yells, Michael. And I'm like, yes, Charlie. And he's like, uh, coffee. And I said, no, thank you. And then I just kept typing my <laughs> letter. Uh, you know, obviously he wanted me to get his coffee. Uh, that's when I realized I wasn't really the big man on campus anymore. But I can make a mean latte because of that experience. Yeah. So you know, we take the good with the bad. Yeah, no, that's that's hysterical. Um, <laughs> good way to break in, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's how it works. Okay, this is the real world. How long were you at that agency? Oh, gosh. I'd have to think back. I don't know, a year or two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I think I, I think from there I got my first job as a copywriter in a small agency in New Jersey. And then that's where I started really copywriting. You do a lot of writing in your job. Copywriting, for those who don't know, you write, you write the lines that you see in headlines or body of ads, if you will. How much of like your, your major and stuff in advertising was, did you have to do a lot of art classes? Like, you know, things on graphic design and, and, and how colors work together or no? 
So back then at Penn State, the ad program, I don't, we didn't have like Photoshop and those programs. I'm trying to think, I don't even think we learned Quark Express back then. That all came to me after I graduated. I, you know, getting that first job as an assistant was a great experience, but it wasn't what I wanted to do, right? I wanted to be a copywriter. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't getting, my portfolio wasn't honestly good enough coming out of the school um, to get the jobs that I wanted. So while I was getting these other jobs, I went to school, back to school at night at the School of Visual Arts in New York City to learn how do I put my ideas together. Like my first portfolio was like stick figures, pun headlines, and Greek copy. Yeah. You know, like of course I'm not gonna get hired, but I didn't know any better. So I did get this, you know, an assistant job or a junior copywriting job eventually, but I just kept taking classes at night at SVA. Um, until I got my portfolio uh, to a place where I felt confident enough that maybe I could get it a real ad agency job. And and that's actually the path I took to get there. Yeah. And and to get there, you worked with some some big name shops, so to speak, right? Places like Atmosphere BB, BBDO, Ogilvy Health. These are some giant conglomerate ad agencies that are in the city, well, all over the world, right? The, the yeah. office is everywhere. What would you say it was like working in a place like that versus the small agency you started with? Or even here at Mason, right? We're not 500 people. But what, what would you say the comparison is in, in working in places like that versus more bespoke or boutique type shops? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. I think, you know, to me, it's about the big, what's the key takeaway from these jobs, right? And I think mm-hmm. hey, I've I've learned the same thing at big agencies that I've learned at smaller agencies that I've worked for. And it's it's all about the people, you know, it's the ones you work with, the people you work for, and the clients. And it's about building and growing those relationships, you know, I mean advertising has honestly given me some of the best friends I'll ever have in my life, right? Like I couldn't thank advertising enough for what it's done for me. And um, I think big agencies, small agencies, I mean, there's a lot of cliches of the differences, you know, more political, less political, this, that. I don't really think about it that way. I think we're all human, you know, and I you have to get along in the world. And, and I think what we can learn um, from both size places is how do we how to treat people and how do we not treat people, you know? Um, and we take those lessons with us. We want to learn about you, Michael Field, as a person, right? The habits, the habits, the choices, the things you do that make you who you are. So tell me a little bit about your daily routine. Are you an early riser, night owl? What, what's your, what's your, you know, wake up time? Yeah, so I wake up at six every morning. I, I have two teenage boys. So my 
my morning starts making sure one of them remembers his homework, remembers his laptop, remembers his lunch, <laughs> and the other one makes sure I remember my keys, you know, so they're very different. Yep. And then I, I drop them off to school and I come home, I make coffee, you know, then it's the New York Times, AP and Reuters. And while I have a bite, and then I prior, prioritize my work day and figure out, you know, what do I need to get done and uh, short term, long term projects. So no morning ritual other than that, like you're not taking like ice cold showers or doing like meditation. I I do shower. I don't (laughs) meditate. Um, I would like to get back to serious exercise. I'm just dealing with a bit of a back or neck issue now. But, um, you know, I'm just, you know, mostly, though, it's it's getting up, you know, getting the kids to school, um, you know. And then doing my morning routine. I want to know what's going on in the world. Yeah. You know, and and then think about the work day. Awesome. We're all so busy in our lives, right? We're connected with emails and cell phones and everything else. How do you disconnect from from the fast paced um, life in general? You know, what do you do to disconnect? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a great question. It's so hard, right, to disconnect nowadays. Like, there's always a screen on wherever you are in whatever room and your phone's with you all the time. How do I disconnect? Well, I think, um, well, at dinner, you know, we have a no phones at the dinner table rule. So we can sit and talk, you know, with our kids, hear about their days, share what my wife and I have done for the day. Um, I also really enjoy the disconnecting when I get to see my kids participate in their activities. Yep. You know, I have a kid in soccer. Both kids are involved in, in improv comedy. Uh, another son's really into theater and the debate team and mock trials. So I like to, you know, watch and and cheer on my kids as much as I can uh, and see them in their elements. And that that Take, forces you to take you away, you know, from the screen. Unless, of course, you're recording it, then you're back on your connected <laughs> device. But you know, we do what we can, and and I also think, you know, maybe it's like instead of, you know, trying to binge watch the next great show, trying to remind myself to get back to reading. You know, is there a good book I want to read, or what is somebody recommended to me, or you know, and. And hearing what my kids are reading actually takes me back to when I was in high school. I was like, oh, yeah, I did read that book, you know. So um, it's trying to find those kind of healthy distractions. There you go. Yeah, it's always good to to cut the cord, so to speak. Inspiration is, is one of those things, um, you know, not not so much for work, right? But like in life, what what do you, where do you find inspiration? What inspires you as a person? Hmm. So, I mean, look, I think my wife and my kids inspire me every day in so many ways. Um, and I think they're also my teachers. Uh, I think outside of family, which is the most important thing to me, it's more important than work. It's more important than outside interests. But you know, they really inspire me in so many ways. Um, 
I'm also inspired by soccer. I mean, you know, I'm an enormous fan. Yeah. So I watch Manchester United as much as I can. I'm a fan of USA and Brazil. Um, and, you know, I also, what inspires me is other interests outside of advertising. So I like to write some short stories. Um, I like to create these mixed media designs of photographs and illustrations that I do. And, you know, it's just trying to pursue these other interests, you know, to get this creativity out in other ways is a, is a good, healthy release for me. Nice. I love it. It, it, I always find the most interesting things about people are the things they do outside of work, right? It's like whenever I get a resume, sure, I can look at all the accomplishments they have, but I want to, I look right to the bottom. If, if people still put those things, you know, like what they're into, I'm like, wait a minute, let's talk about like, you like to go, you know, hiking, where do you go hiking? You know? So. Yeah, no, that's great. Oh, we also hike too. It's like, I'd have to really think about this question. There's so many things that you can do and that we do as a family too, which is really enjoyable. Yeah. I always think about that movie, American Beauty, where it's like, you know, the bag is floating in the wind and, and the guy's narrating saying, there's just so much beauty and inspiration around us. You know, you just have to kind of stop and look. So I guess this- yeah, it's funny you mentioned that I saw the writer of the movie, Aaron Ball, I think was his name. Yeah. Uh, who interviewed and he had said he got that idea because it literally happened to him. He saw a, that bag, a plastic bag floating in the wind and that's how this whole idea of the movie started to come to him. Amazing. Right? Yeah. You just never know. Okay. So um, earlier on, you mentioned, you know, in the job description of uh, um, a, a creative director and, you know, leading creative teams. What, what would you say your leadership style is like? Wow. That's a really tough question, you know, to look at yourself in that way. Um, you know, I don't know that every employee requires the same type of leadership. I think it really is an individual relationship with the people you work with. Yeah. But I would think or hope overall, I'm a very democratic and collaborative, you know, I like to involve the entire team in the process. I think we have incredibly talented people here and everyone has their own perspective and offers up valuable insights. And I think, you know, understanding that and appreciating that for what everyone can bring to the table makes the work more valuable and better. So I think I get there through this collaborative effort if that makes sense. Throughout your career or life, I probably should have asked this question before, but um, what are you most proud of? Like, it could be something professionally, it could be something personally, you know? We could probably go on for hours about this, right? Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I have to say, if there's the, the thing I am most proud of Without a doubt, it has to be my children. Mm. You know, they are, you know, I just look at them and, and I love them so much. And they probably have no idea of how deep, even though we tell them and I tell them, 
they probably still, you're a kid, you're not a teenager, you know everything, right? But it's probably hard to grasp how deeply they are truly loved, you know? And I think for me, I'll just never stop telling them that because that's, that's what it's all about. That's the most important thing for me right there. And uh, I couldn't be more proud of both of them. They're, they're very different. They're similar in some ways and, and they're great humans. And I'm, I'm really proud of the people that they are and the, the adults that they're becoming. You know, it's very proud. I, I actually heard today in, an, in somebody, an old friend I caught up with a great line, which was, you're really only as happy as your least happy child. Mm. And I thought that was a great, a great line. And, um, and it's true, you know? So yeah, I would definitely say my children. Nice. Very nice. And I know what a good dad you are because I've been to <laughs> soccer games with you or, or soccer match with you and, and uh, met one of your sons and oh, actually both of them at the, the baseball, thing. baseball game. Yeah. So no, yeah, you're a cool dad as they would say. So, all right. Uh, I with you, but I'm glad you agree. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, I, you know, there's always that hump of adolescence where it's like, you know, you're, your parents are sort of awkward to you, but then at some point you get over that and you're like, wow, I have really cool parents. You know, it, I think well, it just happens, <laughs> you know, I don't know when it does, but it does. But, um, all right. So this, this is sometimes an awkward question and challenging for people to answer, but everyone's afraid of the F word failure. Right. And, you know, I, it, it might sound nuts, but like a favorite failure and, and what I mean by that is a challenge. Was there, you know, is there kind of a, a a challenge that you've taken on and something you thought that it was gonna gonna work out, but but it didn't, and or maybe it did. And you know, what's the lesson behind that? Yeah, I mean, man, you're right. That is a tough <laughs> question. There, there's multiple ways to look at this. You know, I mean, I think. From the creative side of advertising, uh, if you look at it in terms of the number of ideas you produce to the number of ideas that you come up with, there's probably a 99% failure rate, right? We probably fail every day, mm. but you know, I think that produces and it demands perseverance. You know, it demands compromise it demands collaboration and it gives you an appreciation for the process for the craft of creativity uh you know it takes time for ideas to be realized whether it's digital print tv you know it's it takes time you know it's a process to get to the great work and um you have to allow yourself to make mistakes and you have to understand that iteration is key because, you know, I think we can do good work. Anyone can do a good work. But, you know, I think this new charge here at Mason is to do great work. Right. I think my personal philosophy is good is the enemy of great. Yeah. You know, I don't want good work. Uh, so to me, failure is a gift. You know, it's going to make us want to get to great and it's going to show help show us the way to get there, hopefully. So I don't know if that was the right answer to the way the question was phrased, but 
there is no right or wrong answer for that. So that that was perfect. But you know, awesome. you, you talked, you mentioned it, and, and it triggered a thought. I mean, yeah, there's a process, right? There's not really a formula because exactly I, that is great. You know, I think this this industry, a lot of, and, and I'm not bashing current and or former clients, but a lot of people think, oh, we need a campaign or we need an idea. We're going to give you two days to come up with it. We don't go to a bookshelf of like ideas and say, aha, let me pull out volume six for this industry. And here it is. You know, it's it's a process. Um, It's almost like it's it's art, really. Right. There's an art and there's certainly a little bit of science to it and all that. But um, it's definitely it's definitely a process over over formula. So, yeah, there is no formula Uh, as much as people want to try it's it's really impossible you know especially when it comes to the idea you really need to have that strategic insight and i feel very fortunate that our team here in my short time here is great at that mm. so now the challenge for us is how do we find an emotional truth that we can tap into based on this strategic insight that we can develop work that is going to resonate with our audience, you know, to move the needle for our clients. And yeah, I love this idea that you just said, which is there is no formula. Can you explain, I mean, we talked about what a creative director is and what they do, but Take me through the creative process. Like, do you have a particular approach that you take to every challenge a client brings to you? Tell me more, like, uh, about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the approach is similar in most places where I've been. You know, uh, you know, it's a, a, a understanding, you know, the client's business as deeply as we can is where we have to start, you know, and usually that starts prior to the pitch, mm-hmm. but if you mean the process of getting at the work, you know, it really so much is dependent on the brief and it's so valuable to have one well-written, you know, you have to have the background and the insight, you know, that's going to allow us to differentiate the brand, you know, where, where is the information and the data that can allow us to identify this emotional truth that's going to really help us to tap into that emotional truth so we can differentiate the brand on behalf of our clients you know and i think without the great brief it's impossible to do great work and I think it's also that that process of the brief is important so we can all have a checkpoint to look back to, whether it's internally or when we go through the work with the client, because we all want to be on the same page and we all have the same goals. We just sometimes have different ideas of how to get there. Mm. And the process for me begins with the brief. Um, if I'm partnering with somebody, it's obviously collaboration where we concept together and it's also for me research always trying to dive in and to find nuggets that i can leverage 
for the idea. You know, research I find to spend a lot of time my time there it could be understanding where the competition is playing. You know, where does the competition live in the mind space of the consumer? And can we take our brief and our objectives and differentiate that so we can own a unique space in the mind share of the consumer to really separate them from competitors? Mm. And, you know, and there's probably, you know, a hundred more variables that are also involved in this process. But I think those are the basic tenants that start to put me on a path to, to solving a business problem. Yeah, I had a question here, and it, it's a few questions down my list, but you brought it up. Um, research and data. I don't have to ask if you believe in it, because it sounds, you know, you're saying you do. But a question I have is, is it super important to have that kind of data and research? Or, or do you kind of mix that in with a little bit of your gut, right? Is there sometimes like you just have a gut feeling or does everything have to be, well, the research says this or the data says this? How important is that? I think data is very valuable. You know, I think it's, it's gives you a starting off point that you can rely on. It's the validity of it, the importance of it. But I think what's important is really what we do with it. We have to make it meaningful. We have to tap into that emotional truth based on the data. What's it telling us? How can we leverage it in a new and interesting way? Mm. Uh, and that's where the creativity comes in. So, you know, they say the creative side, but it really is science and creativity. You know, it's it's a collaboration, and I, I probably use that word too often, but it really is um, understanding of both. And I don't know if you know one actually leads the other, but um, it it's a process, and it's seeing where it takes you. But I I personally find data to be very valuable because I think that could be the the point of differentiation for where you take a brand mm. and how we find them, your your clients in, in a space that helps differentiate them. Yeah, that's interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. And I, I'm just thinking of a um, something I once heard from uh, another podcaster I listened to. Um, he, he says, research, research will tell you where you've been, not where you're going. But I, I, I almost kind of disagree a little bit with him. Like, you know, the research, yeah, the research will tell you where where you've been but it's to your point that it gives you that jumping off point to where you need to go so no i think also you know i think the, the research can also help define where you need to be yeah so it can be a huge opportunity i don't think it's only a vehicle of the past yeah no good point you know, um I, I also think when it comes to data you know and when you talk about does it is it you just go with your gut, you know, I think that a lot of that has to we all have our intuition and our experiences that help fuel our belief in a particular idea. So, you know, when we look at 
you know, is it gut or is it data? It sometimes depends on the brands themselves. Are they willing to take risks, you know, that aren't packed up with data? Some do and some don't, mm-hmm. you know? Um, we want to push clients to produce bold, fearless ideas because we have a firm belief, understanding of track record that when we've done that, they've seen better results. You know, of course, it still has to be on strategy. Of course, it still has to have the brand personality. But, you know, getting clients to think more broadly and uh, widening the net to bring more people in is a balance that you have to find together, you know, and, and I think data and gut both play a big part in that. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, this, this brings me to this question where, you know, how do you convince a client to either embrace an idea or a recommendation um, that we're coming in with, right? During, you know, whether it's trying to get a new client, like a pitch, right? Or, helping that new client or existing client with their next challenge. Because, you know, I just want to add this, nothing is ever really guaranteed, right? You can have the best idea and it might work. It might not work. Um, There's always that chance that that can happen. But how, you know, when, as a creative director, how do you get people, how do you get a client to take that leap of faith? I, I wish it was easier. You know, (laughs) we all do. (laughs) The truth is you have to have an idea that you believe in. Mm. And it's not just me as a creative director. I believe it's the team that works on it as well. I believe it's our account team. I believe it's our strategy. I think it's media. It's PR. We all have to collectively believe in this idea. Once we have that and we know why, because it's on strategy, because it differentiates, because it's memorable, because it's shareable, once we get our ducks in in a row, all we can do is our best to present the work and the logic behind that and, and hope for the best. You know, I think there have been times where you know, great ideas I've been a part of and the client saw them right away. And of course, there's opportunity. There's other situations where clients won't be so willing to go with you on that journey. And that's where compromise and collaboration have come in, have to come in because you, you, you don't want to die on a sword for something that's going to cost you an account. But what you do want to do is make sure you're helping to differentiate them in a way that's going to move the needle for them. It's all, that's very important. You know, we need successes. Yeah. On a scale of one to 10, how much pressure is there in this job and being a creative director? I think it's, uh, I think it depends on the day, (laughs) you know? Um, but I, I want to, I want, I want the pressure, you know, I want it to be a 10 every other day. Otherwise I'm not pushing myself as far as I can go. Yeah. So personal level, that's motivation, you know, to, I don't want good ideas. We want to be the, you know, the team that brings clients great ideas and anything less is a failure. Yeah. No, I love it. All right. Somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, I, I, 
I'm fresh out of college or whatever, change in career. I want to be a creative director. What kind of advice do you give them? Uh, I tell them to go into accounting. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you want to do that to yourself? No, I don't know. I mean, look, I think, I don't, I think it's kind of the, the 10,000 hour, you know, theory, You, you really need to get in on the ground floor you know, and start to absorb the experience of working in an agency or on the client side. I think they're pretty different, Mm -hmm. but I think, you know, nothing is going to help you more than doing the work and being there. Um, But I would take as many meetings as you can get. I would be as nice as you can to everybody. I would offer yourself up to do anything that is asked, especially if it's outside of your wheelhouse, you should never not be busy when you get into this business. If you're sitting around surfing the internet, then whether it's you doing something wrong or your manager not keeping you busy, speak up and say, I need something else to do. Be, be a doer, be a helper, you know, make yourself um, invaluable mm-hmm. to the agency and the people around you. And that will serve you for a long, long time. Yeah, that was advice I got too when I first got in. It was like, just put your nose to the grindstone and 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 hustle, right? And and a lot of the times don't just ask for things to like come to the table with with things and ideas or, you know, solutions to things, right? It's like, you know Exactly. Don't come to me with problems. Come to me with solutions, yeah. right? I and mean, that person is so much more valuable to the people that person is working with, as well as the organization. And you know, it's it's exciting when you work with people that are young and up and coming, and that's what they want. You see the difference in employees. You know, the people who have that passion and want to make a difference. Yeah. So, what do you love about this business? For me, that's easy. I love ideas and I love working on multiple accounts. You know, I like staying busy. I like variety. You know, I've worked in in some agencies where you get a lot of to work on a lot of accounts and others where you're on the same account for three years. And the work and the ideas is great on both. I just happen to be engaged in the variety of accounts keeps it fresh for me. Yeah. And, and I And I love that. So I love that. Um, I also love the people. You know, I think I mentioned earlier about making some of the best friends I've ever had in my life in advertising. And you have such diversity in this field of people, where they're from, backgrounds. And learning from everybody is such a gift. You know, and to really appreciate that and and, you know, enjoy that is it's wonderful. It's a wonderful experience to have. Yeah, no, there definitely is that diversity and and, and different backgrounds of people. That's that, that makes it exciting. But, you know, no industry is perfect. Right. Whether I don't care if it's healthcare or retail or whatever. If there's one thing, if you if you had the magic solution, what's the one thing you would change about the advertising business? Well, 
Selfishly, it would be timesheets. I'm terrible at timesheets. I don't know anyone who likes timesheets. I know it's a necessary evil, I guess. Uh, there is an agency I know who, for creatives, they don't have to do their timesheets. And the project managers do it for them. I would love to figure that out at Mason. Maybe we'll talk after this. <laughs> we could strategize together. But, yeah, I think, you know, creative people want to spend their time being creative. Yeah. You know, they want to be, you know, timekeepers. But I don't know. Yeah. That's that's. I would change that. Nice. I would, too. I mean, I, I yeah. This is kind of an interesting idea, but like, what what are the opportunities in this business? And by that, I mean, you know, we we've had things come along throughout the years, like you were saying, like way back when we didn't have Photoshop, but you know, now it's technology. There's so much technology, um, you know, whether it's TikTok or you know the next thing that's coming. But where do you see the opportunities in the business as a whole? Are there any, or I think there always are opportunities but i think i think of it not as i think of it as opportunities for clients more so than the agency yeah so uh you know i am not an expert on the metaverse yet but when we think about experiences and where humans are spending their time and how can brands interact with them in authentic ways be it experientially or even through commerce, I think what we're gonna start seeing is that becoming more of a reality in other in other ways, such as the metaverse and what that means for businesses and who's gonna get there first and what are they gonna do with it. And I think it's all, you know, at a time of discovery right now, but when you just read about it and you see what some people are trying to test the waters, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I've heard both sides, right? People, some people say, I don't want to, I, I, I was just um, reading a book actually by um, Tony Fidel, who was from Apple and he invented the Google Nest and all that. And he was saying, I don't want anything to do with the metaverse. I want real life experiences. Right. But then you have other people who say, no, I think it's really interesting because that's where people are going to be interacting with at some point or at at some point. Yeah, that's what that's interesting. He said he said that or, or in that you're relaying that because I don't know if it's going to be that, but I think it is an opportunity that it could be there. If you could go back in time and meet your 21 year old self, what kind of advice would you give him? Go to law school. <laughs> you have to do timesheets as a lawyer. Oh, God. Wait a second. Let me rethink that answer. Right. Um, or the time timer. Maybe you hit the timer. I'm not sure what it is. but My 21-year-old self, I would say, yeah, I really have to think about this one, Derek. This is not easy for me. Yeah. I'll tell you mine. Mine is uh, yeah, sure. don't sweat the small stuff. So much of like... That's so true. You know, what I thought was like such a big deal at the time, it, it's hard not to. I just think that's a part of the, the process of, uh, of life, right? What was what maybe was a big deal then is not so much now, but um, it's part of maturing. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess if I had to think of something now that you said that it's, it's, um, similar, it's be kind to yourself. You know, I think you do think we're pretty hard on ourselves when you're trying to do it all at such a young age and, and you just want to advance and career and all of that. I think you do have to, you know, it's okay if things don't happen overnight. Mm. Yeah. Patience. Right. All right. Final question. I listened to a podcast on NPR that I really like hosted by Guy Raz and I'm stealing his question. So hopefully when he listens to the show and I, and I have him on as a guest, I'm going to ask him the same thing, but (laughs) you know, how much of your success is pure luck or how much of it is attributed to your intelligence and leadership? I, I don't think personally that my, any successes that I've had, um, have really come down to luck or leadership or intelligence. Maybe I, I see it more as perseverance, mm. you know, I've never giving up. Uh, I think I'm a survivor and I think you have to be able to take the good with the bad. You have to be able to weigh them. You have to be able to understand that, you know, not everything is going to go perfect and that's okay. Accepting the failures, like we talked about earlier, for what they are, but understanding it's just another opportunity to do better and, and to prove it to yourself, most importantly. You know, and, and every day you can do that. You know, what can I do today that is going to help this organization do better? You know, what can I do to do better on behalf of the agency and importantly, on behalf of the clients and their business, you know? No, that's great. I think that's a good place to leave off. Uh, But before we cut, I have a final, final question. I lied. That wasn't the final dream client. Do you have a dream client or brand you'd love to work on? Manchester United. There you go. Yeah, without a doubt. I would like to just be immersed in their business for one year doing all behind the scenes content ideas for them and giving people more exclusive access to the to the players and the organization and, you know, really just doing a deep dive. I would that would be a dream. Awesome. Let's go pitch them. Let's go pitch them. I mean, we yes, let's go after them. All right, Michael, I think this is a great place to leave off. I want to thank you for for taking the time away from being creative, doing client work to spend, you know, an hour with me. So thank you so much. This has been awesome, Derek. My pleasure. I've really enjoyed your questions. They're very thoughtful, um, tough, but I I really enjoyed it. And um, you're the best. And I really appreciate you. So thank you. There we go. That's my conversation with Michael Field. I hope you enjoyed it. And with that, go on and be creative. But in all seriousness, thank you so much for listening. And maybe this episode shed some light on the creative process and gave you some insight into how the magic all works. So for more on Michael, you can find him on Twitter at Michael David Field and of course at Mason23.com. 
Upfront is brought to you by Mason. Creatively obsessed and fixated on results, Mason leverages technology, entertainment, design, and culture to create bold, fearless ideas. It's time to make your brand more valuable. Challenge accepted. Get in touch with us. Send an email to hello at mason23.com and find our website at mason23.com. That's about it for this one. Until the next time, we'll see you. Take care.